Hi, it's Tiffany here, and I know we're on a little bit of a break from Tiffany and you, the podcast. We are getting ready to gear up to start recording for season three, but in the interim, I wanted to share a three-part mini-series of a project that I had an opportunity to work on back in March. I ended up getting selected for ASA Production Camp, and ASA is this incredible company that creates a community and network of women podcasters. And for this production camp, they brought together a group of us to form teams to learn the ins and out of what it takes to create a branded podcast. So the brand that I was on the team of was a financial services company who was looking to make different aspects of personal finance more relatable and approachable. So these three episodes are the episodes that we recorded as part of that. And I will also include the trailer here and the full episode. And I want to thank my guests again for coming on and being part of this project. And I also want to give a special shout out to my team, my podcast team, Saren, Jojo, Brenda, Quinn, and yours truly. I hope you enjoy. Why is it that I will let my friend bikini wax me, but I won't tell her how much money I make? If finance is boring and stressful, you're not going to want to make time for it. This is If Your Wallet Could Talk. Real financial challenges, real fun solutions. Who's Ira Roth? And why should I give him $6,000? A lot of people think an investor is like an old white male sitting in a boardroom on Park Avenue doing these deals. It's not. Every one of us can be an investor. Hi, I'm Tiffany. I'm a first-generation daughter of Asian immigrants, a former Goldman Sachs investment banker, and I'm trying to figure out how to save and live well. And I'm Jojo. I grew up in a single-parent, low-income household, but I'm on track to graduate debt-free and redefine what finances mean to me. We're bringing on money experts to break it all down and have some real talk. Make some sort of plan for checking in on your money once a month. Even if a lot of what I'm saying today sounds like gibberish, like just try it a little bit because future you is going to really be thankful that current you did a little bit to start. We realized that we all have a voice in our head about how we feel about our relationship to money. The money voice. We all have it. It's in our head. It criticizes us. It can make us feel ashamed. But it can even celebrate us when we find a bargain or get a raise. If your wallet could talk, how would it sound and what would it say? Caitlin, you don't need that. Caitlin, put that away. Caitlin, we really, really don't need that in our house right now. And Caitlin, that would be better off in your retirement account. Don't buy it, love, but you haven't got the money. Oh my gosh, Chung, are you sure you want to spend on that? What's your wallet voice? Share it with us by tagging hashtag wallet talk and join us every Tuesday to take control of your wallet at WalletTalk.com. Where's the money? Shang Saavedra reached the ability to be work optional by the time she was age 31 by focusing on increasing her income, lowering her expenses, and investing all her savings. During the day, Shang is a corporate working mother, and at night, Shang creates content around investing, personal finance, and mindset on her blog, SaveMySense.com, and on Instagram at SaveMySense. She has a heart for teaching Americans how to retire with dignity, with a focus on mental health, behavioral psychology, and an attitude of doing things scared. She lives with her husband, child, and two cats. So again, we're going to keep this fun and light. Honestly, it was so fun to do research on this because I learned so much of your background. So I was wondering if you could just start out by telling us a little bit about your money story. Daughter of immigrants just like me. Ah, uh, Sure thing. Born and raised in China and Europe. So my background is that I moved around all over the place until I was 10 years old. Then my parents and I came to the United States. My parents were your very typical immigrant Asian parents. My dad was a professor. 
my mom stayed at home with me, and then got you know just a office job when she could, and they were very very focused on getting me into a good college here in the U.S. I was extremely lucky that my dad saved and invested enough money that I went to college debt free, which I know is not a privilege that everyone can have. Coming out of college, I decided to pursue my dreams of being in business, and so I started out by working in management consulting. I also decided to become a wedding photographer on the side, just because I was very curious about entrepreneurship. I went to University of Chicago for business school on a scholarship and some help from my parents. So again, graduated that with no debt. And around that time was when I got really serious about just living frugally and investing, not because I had any goal in mind, but just because I thought it would be interesting to challenge myself to see how frugal I could be. And I was getting married to my husband, and he said, "Look, if we can figure out how to live on less, then if we ever were to become parents, then we don't have to worry about this." To income trap where like you're trying to figure out childcare and work at the same time.、Um, I mean, this was gosh, almost ten years ago when we started this, and I had no idea what life was going to look like. I'm like, sure, I'll, I'll try it, I guess. And it wasn't all that fun to be frugal, to be honest. But I was in it for a couple of years, and one of my friends said, "Shang, have you realized you're part of this fire movement?" I'm like. What fire? I didn't start any fire. They're like, no, no, no. Financial independence, retire early. They're like, you fit the profile. I'm like, what is that? I googled it, and it turns out it's this whole community of people who are living frugally and investing so that they can retire early. And that's when I started blogging about it and sharing my story with the world.、Mm, I love that, and I love that you challenged yourself to be frugal. It's almost like a competition with yourself.、Uh, you mentioned a little bit about this. Side hustle that you had as a wedding photographer, and I know I am part of this side hustle generation. Were you able to generate enough income from that second stream? Like, can you talk to us a little bit about how you thought about multiple streams of income? Yeah,、uh, I definitely hear you. And I mean, my first job started in two thousand seven, so living through the recession of oh eight oh nine. It definitely became very clear to me that you can't bank on just one source of income, and that's when I started my business. I started my business in the recession. I would say that had I gone full time, I probably could have made a pretty decent amount from that too. Over the course of about ten years, and keep in mind, some years I wasn't as into it as other years. I kept all the profits from the side hustle, and if I counted it all, I think it was about two hundred thousand dollars of profits, which I invested completely on top of. Already, what I was saving from my day job, and also I want to tell all of our listeners that your Instagram, you donate all of that money, right? So that could have been another stream of income for you, right? Yes, indeed. So I'm currently am now on Instagram as Save My Sense. I blog about personal finance. I teach people how to retire, and it started out, I think, just. Out of a desire to want to help a couple people here and there who heard about my frugal habits, and they're like, "Oh, tell me how you save money," and that's how I came up with the name "Save My Sense." But then over the years, it kind of evolved into something much bigger with a focus on retirement because people are like, "Shang, you managed to become work optional at age thirty-one. How can we do it?" And I just wanted to 
be transparent about it, but also not make everyone feel like that they have to have done what I did by their thirties. Because that was like a very extreme example of financial independence. But rather take what I'd learned in that intense process and apply it to wherever you are today to reach the financial goals that you set out as. I sell courses and coaching, and I decided to keep myself honest and. Not turn into like this crazy kind of influencer <laughs> that I think a lot of people do today on like Instagram and TikTok. I decided that all proceeds made from my account I donate over my lifetime, and in fact, uh, last year I donated about forty thousand dollars from the account. Wow, that's incredible! But you wrote this piece for Time about some of the misconceptions and and money barriers and things about money that you had to unlearn as a daughter of immigrants. So hearing that your dad, you know, invested all of this money, it sounds like you may have inherited that from him, but were there some things that you had to unlearn? Absolutely. I was very lucky that my dad took it upon himself to, you know, hit the library and search online back then when the internet wasn't as developed as it was today to figure out how do you invest money and grow it. So I like that I learned that from him. My parents, however, never really had to navigate growing a career in the American economy. Like my dad's a professor and the academic track is a very specific kind of track. And my mom just did office jobs. It wasn't like anything crazy. Whereas for me, going to college, I had to figure out what did I want to do for a living? Then how am I going to get that kind of job? And how am I going to utilize the amazing network? I went to Harvard, so the network is incredible. And also how to advocate for myself. My parents taught me since I was very young that, okay, you must keep your head down. Don't raise a stink. Don't, you know, stick out. You know, don't be that blade of grass that gets cut. Don't brag about what you do. Let your work speak for itself. My first job out of college was management consulting. And I realized that I was getting talked over in meetings. I was getting interrupted. I was told that I was too quiet and that no one really knew what I worked on. And it felt so counterintuitive to everything that I've been told to do as a quiet little Asian girl. And I really learned from that experience that I had to find my own voice in the boardroom and be able to really promote myself and self-advocate in a way that would allow me to succeed in an American context. You had to adjust what your parents had taught you, but just how to make it here in the U.S., right? So I think what's so fascinating about your story is not only how aspirational it is, like I think the number of people who want to reach FIRE, you know, this financially independent retire early, you kind of got into it by accident, right? You were challenging yourself to see how frugal you could become. Your partner was aligned in that. Once you learned that there was this community, this FIRE community, financial independent, retire early, what made you so interested in becoming this work optional at 31? Yeah, I didn't set a timeline. Um, it just so happened that I hit it at 31 because we, we knew how much our annual expenses were. And in the FIRE community, you're considered to have her, hit early retirement when your um, net worth is 25x your annual expenses. And that was when we realized that was possible. And I actually did you know, take significant amounts of time off from work. I had to go undergo IVF to become a mom. So I went part-time for some of those treatments. 
When I became a mom, I took an unprecedented one-year maternity leave from my company, most of which was unpaid. They paid for 16 weeks, and then the remainder was unpaid. And I wanted to see if I wanted to leave the workforce forever. And as it turns out, no, not quite. I I did enjoy the mental challenge of working. I realized that there could actually be a scenario where I can work and also be a present mother. And so, after having gone through what I thought was an early retirement, I quote unquote unretired, returned to the workforce, and then decided to move to a corporate job that has had far fewer hours than what I had. And now I feel like I'm in a much, a much more balanced position where I have the financial freedom, where I don't have to fear for my next paycheck. I don't have to fear that I'm going to make my bills. But also, I get to do what I love, which is incredible and very lucky. And you get to give back through your social channels too. Yeah. So I want you to reflect back on this, you know, ten-year period of being hyper frugal. I guess I'll call it. You know, we hear from a lot of our listeners that they want to travel, they want to be able to go do things and invest in self-care. Like, if you look back at that period, is there anything you wish you could have done differently? Are there experiences you wish you could have had in your twenties, or it kind of? All led up to this point, you're like, I know I want to be a mom. I know I want to take time off. Yeah, how are you kind of thinking about that planning? I think the only regret I may have had is there were a couple weddings that I missed out on because of expenses. And looking back, I'm like, I should have just gone to those weddings. That was so silly. For travel, both my husband and I were really extremely lucky that we figured out how to do this on a budget. We both worked for consulting firms at the time, and you get to travel a lot for your job. You accumulate points and miles, and then we did、um, a lot of those bonus signups, so you get like extra fifty, sixty thousand miles on top, and that's what we used to travel. And because we already traveled on a corporate dime, we had really great statuses with loyalty programs, and that allowed for upgrades. So the travel was taken care of. Absolutely. On the self care part, that's where I had to really dig deep and ask myself, "What does self care mean for you?" I thought for the longest time it meant having the latest and greatest in fashion and being able to eat really nicely. I am a huge foodie. I, I mean, New York City is amazing for this. It's so tempting to be eating out all the time. Then I finally realized during the journey that what I really wanted to solve for was that I was lonely and that I. Sometimes would feel down about my own career, and felt like I needed to dress up to overcompensate for it, or look a certain way, or just go shopping to make myself feel better about a bad day at work. Once I realized that that was actually what I was solving for, then I'm like, wait, shopping and eating out is not going to solve this. For loneliness, I just need to hang out with my friends and put effort into friendships. And for career, I just need to be very kind to myself. And I think that really, really helped me on not spending too much on the "quote unquote" self care side because I was truly addressing the underlying issue rather than you know papering it over with buying stuff. I think that level of like reflection and introspection is so is so important. I'm imagining all of our listeners like going out and buying a journal for themselves to start reflecting on on their own money journey and really what's at the root of you know what they feel like they're lacking and, and like you said, what self care really looks like for them. So I want to transition. To talk about our friend Ira, so you are part of this fire financially independent retire early IRAs. What role did they play in helping you get to that point? So the IRA is basically an account that you can open, save some taxes, 
and invest for your retirement. That really is what the basics of it is. Yes, there's like rules around how much you can put in and when you can take the money out, etc. But that is at its core, it's a retirement investing vehicle. I love IRAs because they save on taxes. And I'm the kind of person where I'm like, yes, I should pay my taxes, but I'm not going to over tip the government. And so I use not only IRAs, but also my employers are private employers and they allow me to use 401ks for people who work in government or nonprofits. This might be the 403b, 457b, or the thrift savings plan for those who work in federal government. And then on top of that, I was very lucky that I had you know, very high paying jobs. So I maxed out all those accounts. And then anyone can also open what's called a taxable brokerage. This is just any plain trading account that you open with a financial institution. There's no limit on how much money you can put in and you can trade and invest. It just means that there's no tax benefits to it. So you just named off like a bunch of different accounts that just hearing them, I'm overwhelmed. I'm like, this is a shopping list. I don't know what all of these are. Like where do you have like a hierarchy of what's the first thing you should put your money into? Like, is IRA at the top of that list? Like, should we open that account first? And we know that you're only speaking from your personal experience and not providing financial advice. <laughs> <laughs> not investing advice. Don't sue me, guys. Um, very good question. I like to think about accounts basically in three broad categories. Ones that your employer provides, ones that you open yourself and fall under the IRA, and the ones that you open but are just taxable brokerages. I love starting with what your employer provides because what happens here is that they're going to automatically take a cut from your paycheck before it ever hits your bank account and put that into the account and then you can go and invest it. Psychology means a lot when it comes to personal finance. Once we see money put into our bank accounts, we're so tempted to go spend it. Whereas if your employer takes it out for you, you don't miss it. You never saw it in the first place. Exactly. You're like, oh, I didn't miss it. And and people say, how much do I put in? I'm like, put in as much as you think you can. And if after one paycheck, you're like, whoa, that was too much, you can always pull back. So start there, start with that 401k. And for some people who have a high deductible health plan, you can also do it via your health savings account. So there's two main ways to do it. Once that is done and you're like, all right, I hit the maximum. Then open an IRA, which comes in two flavors, a traditional or a Roth. I'm not going to explain that here. Basically, if you don't know which one, toss a coin, just open one, you know, <laughs> figure it out as you go. Really toss a coin. I want you to get in on investing early. And if you max that out and for this audience, it would be at $6,000 a year. Then you open that taxable brokerage and you put in however much you want. So three types, start with the employer, then open your IRA then do a taxable brokerage. I love that. It's kind of like a little waterfall, like employer and then IRA and then these tax brokerages. Exactly. Okay, so I know you just gave us a little bit of a teaser of the traditional or the Roth IRA and you're saying to flip a coin and just see how you feel about it. You use your social media account to really educate audiences about all of these different investment vehicles. And so I was wondering if you could just talk a little bit about what are some of the biggest misconceptions around Roth IRAs? Like, what are people getting wrong? And as a refresher for people who don't know what a Roth IRA does, you can put in $6,000 into a Roth IRA. You'll already have paid your income taxes on it by the time that you did it. So you just take it from, you know, your bank account, your paycheck. Then you can invest via the Roth IRA and 
when you decide to withdraw from it at retirement, which is after age 59 and a half, if the investments have increased in value, you withdraw all of it tax-free. So people love the Roth IRA. Roth basically means after tax and then tax-free forward because you don't have to worry about taxes. And that takes up a lot of mind space for me, to be honest. The first thing that people get wrong is that they think that you cannot access the money before age 59 and a half. And that is partially true. There's a lot of restrictions on a lot of retirement accounts that say you cannot access the money before age 59 and a half without paying that 10% penalty. But the Roth IRA is a little bit special in that there are ways to access it early. Usually it's after five years of establishing an account. You can pull out some money early. You can do what's called a Roth conversion ladder which is a really interesting concept that a lot of the FIRE bloggers do where they take their money, convert it to Roth IRAs, and then they do this over time. So it builds a ladder and then five years onwards, you can touch that money without penalty. So it's it's really cool. I think it's a little bit dizzying to first think about it, but I just want to say like, don't let that 59 and a half like age make you feel like, oh, I can't retire early using this account. Then I would say the other thing that people get tripped up is these days, a lot of the employer accounts, so the 401ks, also give you the option of traditional or Roth. So you could have a traditional 401k or Roth 401k. But a lot of people think that the Roth 401k is the same as the Roth IRA, and they're not. They're different. You can have both a Roth 401k and a Roth IRA. They're not exclusive of each other. And I've often seen people say, oh, I have a Roth 401k, so I'm not going to open a Roth IRA. I'm like, oh, no, girl, you can do both. You can absolutely do both. Okay. You said something earlier about how taxes make your brain hurt a little. Uh, So one of the guests that we're actually having later is a CPA. And I'm just curious if there's a question that you could ask this CPA, what would you want to ask her? Such a good question. I'd say, hey, are there any other ways that I can deduct my kid? (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) Um, Yeah, uh, the tax code, I think, is exceedingly complicated. And there's just like a lot of stuff that I just like, I don't know what I don't know sometimes. And as a quasi business owner, you know, I do file my taxes for running Save My Sense. There's definitely a time where like, I don't know when it's right for me to go from what I currently am now, which is a solo LLC to become basically a a C Corp or a B Corp. There's like other corporation structures that you can have to be more tax efficient. And I know I'm not maxing that out right now, but I wonder whether I should be, whether I should be thinking about that. I'm still hearing, can I deduct my kid? (laughs) (laughs) All right. I've got one more question. Then we've kind of got like a sound bite section. But the last question I have for you is, and I know you busted this myth in terms of the things people get wrong about IRAs, but you have kind of found this niche in terms of like teaching masterclasses on saving for retirement. And I think for those of us who are going down the traditional path of opening these accounts, and getting access to that money at 59 and a half, I'm curious like why you felt like it was important for you to invest and max out these retirement accounts if you're likely not going to tap into them for another 20 plus years. 
learning about the Roth conversion ladder was life-changing for me. And I too had the same thought thinking, oh, if I can't touch the money until 59 and a half without penalty, like you can touch the money, you just paid that 10% penalty on it. Why shouldn't I? But then I started learning that the really wealthy people, what they do most of the time is figure out how to pay less in taxes, how not to overtip the government. And as I learned that concept, I realized if I'm talking about a net worth in the millions, if I'm not taking advantage of every tax shelter that's available to me, I could be overpaying like six figures in taxes. That's really what IRA and 401k is. They're essentially a tax shelter. And like, if the rich are doing it, hey, I kind of want to be like the rich. I kind of want to be like shrewd in that way, play that game. I learned that you can convert them early using a Roth conversion ladder. There's also something called a rule 72T withdrawal. These are all ways to access your money early. And I may not always be investing in stocks, for example. These accounts are primarily designed for people who want to invest in the stock market through index funds and stocks. But there's also a lot of people who retire early by buying real estate and getting cash flow from people who, from their renters. And that's an excellent way as well to retire without having to go through the rigmarole of like converting your IRAs and 401ks. But I think it's just really important when you're first starting to at least know that you have all these options and that these options give you a huge advantage later in life. And the one thing that I cannot reverse for anyone is time. Time, if you use it right, if you start early, means that you have a ton more time for your money to compound and grow. And that's why I want to encourage people to do things scared and get in on this early and just do it anyway. Even if a lot of what I'm saying today sounds like gibberish, like just try it a little bit because future you is going to really be thankful that current you did a little bit to start. And I actually think that's why there's so much interest. I was telling Shung earlier that the number of people who wanted to talk about IRAs on this podcast, I guess one last question for you. And honestly, your whole thing about passive income, I feel like is a, is a whole nother episode. We'll put a pin in that. But I wanted to ask you when your son becomes of age, because I know you have a little one, are you going to have him open an IRA like ASAP? If he makes money even before of age, he can get what's called a custodial IRA even before age 18. So like, for example, if he decides to start, I don't know, a lawn mowing service or something or babysit for other people, the IRS considers that earned income. And if they have earned income, the parent can help the child open a custodial IRA and invest that for their future. I love that you know that. Because <laughs> um, your son's what, like two, three? He's two and a half, but we're already teaching him the value of cleaning up after himself. So he knows he's he's got a job in this house. All right. Now we've got our soundbite questions. So money, personal finance, investing, it's all like kind of intimidating before you flip that coin and just put some money in one of these accounts. And so I'm wondering, what three tips would you give to our listeners to really kind of like mellow out what we're calling like their wallet voices? Like if their wallet voice is telling them like, don't invest that money, you're going to lose it. Like what would, what are three tips that you would give? Number one, just because you don't see people who look like you investing doesn't mean that you're not an investor. I think a lot of people think an investor is like an old white male sitting in a boardroom on Park Avenue doing these deals. It's not. 
every one of us can be an investor. And I really strongly recommend that you don't let that image, the old media, put you off from investing. Number two, always have a fully funded emergency fund before you get super serious about investing. Emergency fund, I would say for this audience, is anywhere between three to six months of expenses, must-have expenses. And this acts as a cushion in case your investments go awry during a downturn. And number three, starting small is totally awesome. My first investment, I don't think was more than two, $300. Everyone has to start somewhere. So don't feel like just because you don't have a lot of money to invest that you shouldn't be investing. That's how you start. Everybody starts with a small amount. Yeah. So what I'm hearing from you is if you take one step, it's fully fund that emergency fund. Then if you have some extra, you know, check out this retirement waterfall. And then last question for you. So the show is called If Your Wallet Could Talk. So what is your wallet voice? What's it saying? I think my wallet is constantly asking me, are you spending where your values are? Because I'm not going to be the person that tells you, you have to cut out avocado toast. You cannot have your daily coffee or whatnot. I mean, sure, that, that helps, but in the long run, not really. Instead, I would love for everybody to dig deep and say, if I think about the biggest goals that I have in life, your, your physical goals, your financial goals, your desire to change the world and relationship goals, is your wallet, the way that you're spending the money in your wallet, helping you reach the goals that matter to you the most? As long as there's alignment there, who cares how you spend your money? I could care less, but I want to make sure that you're taking care of those goals. Hi, Sean. How are you? That was a really great discussion. We're so grateful you're here. I just have a few rapid fire questions. Don't think too much. We just want to pick your brain a bit. So I want to ask you, can you give us an impression of your wallet voice? Oh my God, Sean. Are you sure you want to spend on that? <laughs> wonderful. <laughs> wonderful. I, I always think my wallet voice is going to be a little annoying. <laughs> annoying? <laughs> So you graduated from college debt-free and I'm on track to do the same. And I want to know what advice you have for current college students or other students graduating debt-free, you know, to go from zero to hero. The absence of debt is one thing, but the presence of wealth is another. So how do we take those steps to build a sound financial future straight out of college? Well, number one, I believe that you are fully capable of having a financially abundant life. Amen. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. And when you believe in that, then you're going to make the right career choices and the money choices that will lead you into that abundance and into that wealth. And so if anything, I would say is have a positive attitude towards money because then that's going to bring you the luck and the blessings that you're looking for. Okay, so have a positive attitude towards money. Really good advice. Next question. As someone who's self-employed, starting her own business, how will she know when the right time is to open her own IRA? If you are self-employed, you actually have a couple of options for retirement. You could do what's called a solo 401k. You could also do a SEP IRA. And then you can also do just the plain traditional or Roth IRA. So I'm just telling you guys, you have options. Uh, Google a little bit, check them out. But definitely, you don't need to wait for a threshold. As long as you feel like you're ready to invest some money for the future, go ahead and open those accounts. Lovely. Okay. And you say we don't need to wait for a threshold. What is a threshold in this scenario? 
I would say as long as you have fully funded that emergency fund of three to six months of living expenses, heck, get investing, get money for your future. All right. And last question, as a fellow Christian, I understand that the Christian community can at times demonize wealthy individuals as if they were modern day tax collectors. But Jesus never said, do not have money. He simply said, do not love money. So how do you justify your faith and finances? Oh my gosh, I'm so glad you brought that up because uh, this is not a question that I get often, but my Christian faith is a huge part of my identity. I love to bring up that parable where a master gives 10 talents to three servants and asks them to do something with it. And two of the three invested it and came back with more money and a one servant buried it underground, which made the master really, really angry. In the modern day time, our talents are our time, our resources, and our money. And the reason why I focus so much on giving away the majority of my wealth is because I believe that if I am blessed with abundance and I get a lot of money, it doesn't mean that I should be spending it all on myself. And so it's okay to have a lot of money, but what you do with that money, are you doing it for God or for yourself? That is, I think, what uh Jesus really cares about. Woo! You are preaching. Is she speaking to somebody this afternoon? (laughs) Thank you for those wise, wise words. Yes, the night is coming when no man can work. Thank you so much for that answer. Thank you.